This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us. Another big show coming your way very shortly. Mark Walker and Richard Crail having a chat to international man of mystery, Scott Andrews. Great driver, good young driver, and we'll find out what he's been doing and what he plans to do in the future. We'll also catch up with uh, V8 Supercar commentator Chad Nalon, also a massive MotoGP freak and fan and loves him. And uh, we'll talk to him about the uh, the latest MotoGP action that has been happening as well. So all that to come right here on The Grid, but let's get straight into the news. And the date for the Bathurst 1000 has been confirmed as November the 4th through to the 7th after a disagreement with Challenge Bathurst threatened to change the existing date. The date disagreement started due to Challenge Bathurst having an exclusive use period in its contract at the venue, meaning no other event could take place at Bathurst within two weeks of their event. Challenge Bathurst offered a compromised earlier date of October 28 to supercars, which still fell within the two-week period. However, due to the Phillip Island Super Sprint, that was not manageable. Eventually, an agreement was reached between supercars, Challenge Bathurst and the Bathurst Regional Council to allow the great race to begin November 4th for the Challenge Bathurst event to maintain its long-held November 11 start date. Motorsport Australia described the resolution as a win for competitors, fans and all stakeholders of these brilliant events. In TCR news, Victoria's lockdown extension has prompted the next round of TCR Australia to be cancelled. The series was set to commence at Sandown next month on September 17th. However, the Australian Racing Group and Motorsport Australia decided to cancel the event due to ongoing lockdowns in both New South Wales and Victoria. In its place will be an extra event at The Bend on the weekend commencing October 15th, so two rounds there that weekend which will be uh, fantastic for South Australians. The series has been on hiatus since May due to ongoing postponements and cancellations due to the pandemic. Also, some S5000 news. And to give us that news, let's say good day to Richard Crowell. Crowley. Shebeck's $50,000 in prize money will be up for grabs in the S5000 Tasman series this summer. The relaunched Tasman Series will comprise seven races across two major events later in the year, namely the Super Cheap Auto Bathurst International, November 26-28, and the following weekend, December 3-5, at the Boost Mobile Gold Coast 500. The series winner will receive $30,000 for their efforts, with the runner-up winning ten grand and third place five. A further $5,000 bonus will be awarded to the best-placed Kiwi or international driver competing in the series. Series organisers say there is still hope that overseas drivers will be able to compete in the series. An official Twilight Tasman test will also be held at Sydney Motorsport Park prior to the Bathurst International event. Fifty grand up for grabs for the Tasman series. It's good news from the S5000 front. And back to Shebex with the rest of the news. Thank you, mate. The Formula One Dutch Grand Prix will go ahead with 70,000 spectators, despite COVID restrictions being in place in the country. The 70,000 limit means the Grand Prix will be at 67% capacity in accordance with sport event regulations announced by the Dutch government last Friday. The Dutch Grand Prix is part of a triple header with Spa and Monza at the beginning of next month. It'll be the first time the circuit has held an F1 race since 1985. In MotoGP news, Brad Binder has won the Australian Grand Prix 
Uh, so the Australian just take out an L from there and I get the Austrian Grand Prix this weekend at the second successive race at the Red Bull Ring. The KTM Red Bull rider was very happy with his first podium of the season. Yeah, uh, you know, I went to bed last night. Just all I wanted to do today was get a podium. Uh, it's been so long. I think it's been the longest since I don't know how many years that I haven't finished on the podium. And uh, I've been close a few times, a few fourth places, but never been back. So, um, yeah, I, to be honest, I was having the uh, horrendous race before, before I decided to stay out and everyone else came in. Uh, the rear tyre was like nothing I've had all week. So every time I'd try brake, it would just slide everywhere. I'd go for the throttle and I'd wouldn't go forward. The South African took a gamble deciding to stay out in the wet conditions when most other riders pitted for their wet weather bikes. Bender admitted he struggled during the last couple of laps. Whenever I needed to stop, literally I would just like felt like rolling because uh, no matter how hard I pulled the lever, nothing was happening. And uh, yeah, I really struggled to stay on track. Um, but yeah, anyway, you know, sometimes uh, you got to take the gamble. And today it worked, so I'm super happy about that. Francesco Bagnaia, who led most of the race, had to make a late change from 10th with just a lap remaining to finish second, almost 10 seconds off the pace. And rounding out the podium was last week's winner, Jorge Martin, a further second and a half behind. And finally, let's head to some IndyCar news. And Aussie Willpower has won the latest IndyCar race to become the ninth different race winner of the season. Power led for 56 of the 85 laps and managed to beat Romain Grosjean to the finish line by just over a second with uh, Colton Herter rounding out the podium another 1.2 seconds behind. Scotty McLaughlin failed to impress, finishing down in 23rd, 22nd, 21 seconds off the leader. The next race for the IndyCar Series is this Sunday at the Worldwide Technology Raceway. That is it for the news. Let's get straight into the show. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. And for today's interview, let's hand over the reins to Richard Crowell and Mark Walker. Go ahead, boys. Well, Le Mans is a long way from Torquay on the beach in Victoria, which both are nice parts of the world, but there's only one place our next guest would like to be this weekend, and that is the famous Le Mans 24-hour endurance race. He's taking part for the first time in his career amongst a sports car career that's going places. He's one of our best international exports at the moment, and we're very pleased to say he joins us on the grid. It's a big hello to Scott Andrews. Hello, mate. How are you? Hey Richard, man, it's uh, it's awesome to be here. So thanks for you guys for having me, you and Mark. Mate, it's awesome to talk to you. We're just talking um, off air that this is a long way from cold, wet Phillip Island in a little two fifty three <laughs> Commodore Cup car. <laughs> yeah, but what a weapon those cars were. <laughs> they were good. They were good. Mate, do you, do you have an opportunity? We'll get into what you're doing in a minute, but do you get an opportunity just to sit back and go, I'm racing in the Le Mans 24 hour. It's one of the world's great races. Um, and just take stock in where you've come from. Uh, well, probably, uh, you know, this year has actually been like that busy. I haven't even had a chance to think for myself. <laughs> it's been incredible this year. You know, I've raced five different series and four of them are full time. Um, but certainly when I do get a chance to myself, yeah, I think, wow, this is crazy. And just try to take it all in. Um, 
I think every time you roll up to this track though, because I have done this the road to Le Mans race a few times, yeah. um, which I will be doing again this weekend. So it's gonna be pretty crazy. Yes. Um but every time you roll up to this track, similarly to uh, Monza and a couple of the other big ones we go to, it's just like the history and this nostalgia when you roll in. And there's so many things that are still original at the track. And it's just so cool. And you really feel like this sense of, uh, I don't know, just like importance of the venue, I suppose. Mm. It's just really cool. Now, we mentioned Commodore Cup, and a lot of people around Australia would remember you from Commodore Cup, and especially in the wet and doing some crazy things there. Uh, and we'd also remember you from your Formula Ford days here in Australia. But where is the path to Le Mans taking you from there? Because you've been overseas pretty much since 20, what was it, 2013, 2015? 2012, yeah, 2013, yeah. So um, where, where have you been? <laughs> well, uh many 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 different places actually um for for a long time i was um doing a lot of uh driver instruction work for companies um and then racing on the side when i could um so when i first moved to the us uh, i worked for a company in las vegas so i lived in vegas for for probably two and a half years i would say and then i moved to new york state where i worked for this uh, company in Monticello, New York. Uh, it's a big private car club. And from there, where did I go? I went to Atlanta. Um, because actually, when I moved to Atlanta, it was the first time where I finally um, had a, you know, a opportunity or career or whatever where I didn't have to live wherever the workplace was. Yep. that makes sense so i was just driving which was awesome um and that was probably four four or five years ago maybe four yeah four ish years ago it's all a bit of a blur now um but yeah i was in atlanta for a couple of years and then now i've been in miami for just over two years um and yeah the last the last bit has been cool because basically i i've been able to live wherever, wherever i've wanted um and yeah, it's quite awesome. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what prompted the move to Miami, by the way, was that a, a lifestyle decision? Um, well, you know, a little bit, to be honest, I'm always chasing warm weather mm. and the cold really annoys me, which is probably f- funny listening to that from a guy from the very South of Victoria. Yes. Um, but I, I just hate the cold man so much. Hate it. Cannot deal with it. So if I don't have to deal with it, then I won't. And I don't have to in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Good answer. I like it. Um, so just, just you mentioned some of the programs you're running at the moment. Just walk us through your full-time campaigns. We'll come to the Lamar thing with, with Cargill and, and Kessel at the moment. But just walk us through your full-time campaigns that you're running this year on both sides of the ditch. So uh, I race in the IMSA WeatherTech series, the Endurance Cup with Riley Motorsport, um, which we're actually currently leading, Gar Robinson and myself in the LMP3. So we do Daytona 24, Sebring 12 hour, Watkins Glen six hour, and Petit Le Mans, the 10 hour um, at Road Atlanta. 
which is coming up in a couple of months, I think. Um, and then I also race for Riley Motorsports in their Toyota Super GT4 program, um, which is 10 races, part just, of the IMSA series as well. On that, Bill Riley. I mean, he's a legend in sports car racing. What's it like? Oh, uh, you know him. Bill. Yeah, of course we know him. Yeah, it's guru. <laughs> uh, you know, when they put out a press release, when Riley Motorsports put out a press release saying that they're going to be racing in Allen P3 WeatherTech series. And while when I was, you know, trying to look for a drive and figure out the options that I had, I was thinking, man, like I'm going to have to race against a Riley car. This is just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> like like uh, we're, we're just not going to win. <laughs> and um, out of the blue, they, they called me, um, the, the manager of that team and said, Hey, are you available for Daytona? And I said, yeah. Um, he's like, all right, here's the deal. Are you in? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I am <laughs> done. Um, you know, cause at the time I was trying to work on some DPI stuff and, and then weighing up my other options in LMP3. And this was just a no brainer. Um, so, and it's been awesome. The relationship with um, Bill, Gar Robinson, the whole, 74 car of the team john donovan which is gar's uh manager and like the team manager as well of that sort of side of things um yeah it's been crazy and then uh with the whole toyota deal um i was actually able to bring him um the guy that i've been driving with and driving for which is like the car owner Mm. and you know um It was time for him to find a new team. So I said, well, I'll, I'll have you sit down with Bill and then, you know, see if there's any opportunity if you want to. And then so we sat down 20 minutes and uh, I said, that meeting was bad for you. And he's like, why? And I was like, because that's just a, it's impossible to say no now. <laughs> like, you're locked in. And he's just like, yeah, you're right. Like, how do you say no to that? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so cool to drive for Bill. Like, he's a real... Like he's a no BS guy, um, but you know he has this super dry personality and humor. Sorry, I shouldn't say dry personality. He doesn't have a dry. He has a very dry humor. Yeah. So it's really hard to actually tell when he's joking or not. So sometimes he's very serious, and you think he's joking, and it really pisses him off. <laughs> and you joke back, and then sometimes you're very serious back to him because you're not sure if he's joking. Mm. and he laughs because he knows that you have he has you like in a little <laughs> like just mentally screwed <laughs> but now he's awesome and uh calls some great strategies and at one point we were leading the 24 by three or four laps or something crazy like that so mm. he's just yeah so on it with strategy calls and yeah our cars are always one of the fastest if not the fastest so yeah, well, That's I mean, cool. his his status from being a constructor and everything that they've done is remarkable. So that's the American side, and Mark and I are both unashamed fans of American sports car racing. We love it. But um, you've been busy in Europe as well, so you've been back and forth. Yes. And Michelin Le Mans Cup has been part of your program, and you had a win recently with United Autosport at Monza, which must have been really cool. So just walk us through the European side of your racing program. Yeah, sorry, I forgot. I was just um, I was just dreaming about Bill. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, so the European side uh, has been with um, Jerry Kraut, who's mm. my co-driver in that car. And Jerry um, is basically the one that kind of found me, I would say. So uh, long story short, I won't bore you guys too much with the de- details. But when I first went over in 2012 with James Davison, um, because basically Richard knows me and Mark knows me, but for anyone. Uh, so basically I was running Formula Ford in 2012 as a satellite team with Sean Scott, my dad and myself. Mm. And my dad and myself were paying for it. And I was working full-time with race fuels. Um, and when that money pot went dry, my old man had already um, <clears throat> uh, refinanced the house like three times. And the bank sort of said, yeah, no more. So um, at that point, I thought I was done. Um, you know, but James knew me and took some interest in my career and basically said, look, I'm going on a big trip. Um, at the time, he was coaching for Andretti, I think, or yep. maybe spotting. He's like, I'm going for a big trip for a whole month, um, you know, between India and California and everything. Um, why don't you come with me? Like, just pay your expenses and I'll, you know, put you up. So I was like, cool. So he introduced me to a lot of teams. One of them was JDC. And then not quite a year later, when they needed a, a fill-in driver at Laguna Seca, um, <clears throat> they asked James and James said, well, you got to put Scott in. You got to give him a go. So they did. And uh, yeah, it went well. I think we topped two or three out of the four sessions immediately. And that car hadn't seen the top 10 all year. Um, so that was nice and good for the team to know that their cars weren't trash either. Like, the, you know, the, their cars are fine. Mm. Um, and yeah, we did a bit of USF as much as we, as much as it possibly, you know, we possibly could. Um, and that's when I met Jerry because Jerry um, has always raced with JDC and you know, helps them out here and there when it's possible. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a big part of it. So basically, fast forward three, four years, I'm in Monza racing for another team uh, in Le Mans Cup. And I topped the first, second session, second session. And then Jerry was there and he remembers me and he's, he comes down and he's like, oh, Scott, you used to race at JDC, blah, blah, blah. So he's like, I just bought a... Uh, the first Ligier LMP3 in the States. Um, do you want to be my co-driver? Yeah, sure. So basically it was just out of nowhere, you know, you're a kid like, you know, looking for drives and stuff, just, you know, hustling. And then all of a sudden just this one right time, right place and bang. So Jerry and I have been uh, driving together for four or five years now, I think. So he's the one in United Auto Sports that I drive with. So it's quite cool to keep that relationship going. And we are actually currently leading that championship, which is quite cool because my new Jerry is 70 years old. So it's quite a competitive field. Um, mm. And yeah, so it's quite cool to be leading that. We had a second at Barcelona, um, but we actually took 25 points, uh, which was for um, some weird rule or whatever it was. But anyway, we, we got that. So yeah, we're leading. And then obviously the, the, the WEC program with Kessel, um, with the car guy Ferrari. Um, and that's full-time signed off just before uh, Le Mans 
I'll do the rest of the wax season with Cargo. Great. That's so that, awesome. That's so busy. Yeah. So, <laughs> fast forward to this week, and you've already <laughs> done the, the test date, Lamar. How, how did it go? Awesome. Yeah, it went really well. Um, you know, I don't think, I don't think anyone's really um, pushing to the hundred percent or showing what they what they fully have yet. But as far as like all the small things, just ticking off everything, um, I think we're all pretty happy with how it went, and we're um, we're all pretty happy with um, the three drivers' pace combined. You know, because obviously we're in Anne, and you know that's that's one of the biggest things is having the the strongest driver lineup. Um, not just Carpe. So we're happy with all of it. Um, Kimura did a great job. And uh, obviously, Mikkel is fast as always. I've known Mikkel for years. We've had some good races together in P3, actually. Um, and he's a factory Peugeot driver. Yeah. In that new new Peugeot with the no rear wing. So he's, he's one of the guys in that program. Um, so yeah, he's obviously just a, you know, pro so um so yeah so he's always good and then yeah we're right there so it's nice it's a hell of a battle gte both pro and am in the race this year probably the strongest it's been i would have thought um it's overall so word on the street yeah it's the, and and you're there's there's some aussie antipodean and interest in the the am battle as well because you're up against the yeah. roton porsche which has got christian reed obviously but both matt campbell and jackson evans who line up in that car so yeah it's going to be a really good battle how's the ferrari go against the porsche where's the strengths and weaknesses uh i haven't done it at lamar yet because everything changes because you run fully trimmed out mm. so no no downforce um uh, at portimao when we were racing against the porsche it was uh the Porsche was very good um, in the in the slower speed stuff, so it's very good. It seemed like on braking and 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 um, rotation and traction, it seemed like when I was following them. Um, but actually, the Ferrari felt pretty good in high speed corners. So uh, I would assume that it might be similar again, where mm. you know the Porsche is very strong through, um, you know, maybe the first sector and maybe getting off the, the, the chicanes and Molson and stuff like that, but maybe we're a bit an Arnage and, but maybe we're a bit stronger through Porsche curves and maybe we're a bit stronger through Tete Rouge and maybe we're a bit stronger into the chicanes and things like that. So I haven't actually um, <clears throat> gone up against someone like in my pace in, I've come across a few of the AMs and stuff because you see them a lot um, mm. as you're doing laps. So it's hard to judge exactly where the cars are good or not. Um, so I guess probably find out in free practice all the race. <laughs> uh, taking a step back from racing for a sec, being an Aussie living overseas this past 18 months with COVID, how has the world been? Because, you know, here in Australia, we've been locked off from the rest of the universe, and especially at the moment, most of us are locked down uh, and definitely not going to motor racing. What's life like? Um, you know, one of the good things about living in Miami and one of the bad things is there's not a lot of restrictions. Um, you probably have seen a lot of the Florida memes on the internet. Mm. And obviously Miami is well in Florida. So uh, the, the governor um, believes in just going back to a normal life. And, you know, most people are vaccinated in Miami. 
Um, so basically, yeah, there's no restrictions. There's no mask restrictions. Only if the building um, strictly enforces it, <clears throat> the you know the restaurant or whatever. Um, but otherwise, yeah, you don't have to wear a mask. You you know you don't have to do anything. It's just normal. Um, the only thing is, is obviously the airports. Uh, but previously to that, obviously we had the lockdown, um, and I think we were the, one of the first people out of that. I didn't mind the lockdown because you know I'm a big fan of sim racing, you know. Mm. So thankfully, just before the lockdown, I had got my sim together. I bought a bunch of different parts from all over the world, put it together, and then my roommate Robbie Foley, who races for the Turner BMW um, GTD in IMSA. Uh, he's also a big sim guy, so he races for BS competition in the sim, uh, which is the official BMW team, and I race for RAG Esports, which is Roman Groshon's simulator team. Yeah, right. So we were racing against each other quite a bit in like really big, massive events that are like televised and stuff, so it's quite fun. So actually, the lockdown for me, um, it was quite good, yeah. <laughs> I didn't mind it at all. Do you, do you have anything to do with Grosjean? He's been doing good things in the States lately on the podium on the weekend at Indy. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Roman's a cool guy. That's that's how I met him um, mm. through his team. And um, I think I actually still have his tennis racket. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> return that at remind me. <laughs> but no, he's just such a... He's just, yeah, just really down to earth, cool guy. So he has actually a lot to do with the team. He's, you know, we have a lot of the young, you know, we have RHG junior drivers, which is like 14, 15, 16 year old kids that he's trying to help. Um, you know, a lot of these kids have a lot of pace, but they, especially with sim racing, they don't get exposed to how you're maybe supposed to talk and communicate with 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 people and at the end of the day like sim racing is still the same as real real motorsport where you know there's guys that get a lot higher than other people and it's not just because they're very very good in the car there's a lot more to it and it's actually the same with sim racing you know it's so he's you know showing them how that works and uh, yeah, so he's actually got got a lot to do with the team and he's always popping the Discord chats and, you know, um, jumping on Twitch with everyone and jumping on, um, you know, and driving around. Not right now so much. I haven't had a chance this year really to do any driving, basically. I did a couple of the IMSA races earlier on in the year, but other than that, I've barely done anything. And then same with him. You know, he's been... Um, obviously very busy but yeah as a guy he's awesome like uh he's come to miami a few times and we've had um some lunches together and he's you know met my girlfriend and uh she didn't really know of him too much she'd heard his name or whatever but she didn't really like know mm. and then when we're in miami having lunch at this spot with um one of my buddies good buddies ed jones indycar driver as well mm. and there's teammates this year so, um, uh, but she didn't really know the importance of Roman until we're at dinner, uh, lunch, and everyone, two or three people have come up and they're like, oh, are you Roman Grosjean? You know, and they go to shake his hand and obviously his hand at the time was still 
quite bad and you know and they're like oh I'm so sorry but can we please get an autograph and a photo and yeah so it's cool and he's just such a down earth guy like if you didn't know who he was you wouldn't know who he was what just quickly why have you got his tennis racket out of interest I have to know <laughs> um I can't remember if we actually I don't know I don't think we actually played but uh he came up to my apartment um to watch one of the NASCAR races mm. Uh, might have been the Daytona Road course race, and we we're just hanging out. And uh, was it Ed? Maybe it was him actually. I think yeah, he he had to go somewhere real quick, but it, he didn't have a place to stay yet. Um, and at the time, he was looking and staying at my area in Miami. Mm. Um, so I think he left his suitcase and his um, tennis racket <laughs> just quickly in in my in my apartment just to um, so it would be safe. And then I think I used his racket one time playing with Ed. Um, and uh, uh, so maybe I still have it. I'm not sure though. <laughs> <laughs> the random life you've stumbled into. I like it. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's so strange. Like, yeah, compared to the life that I had in Australia and how everything was. And then now it's just so different. So different. So Sorry, Mark, go on. Well, one random last one from me and, and a bit of a name drop one at the same time. I'm a mad Dinner with Races fan and ah. I, I bang on about it way too much and people from this show have tuned in subsequently. Yeah. Ryan yep. Eversley, tell me everything. <laughs> Legend. He's I admit such... no details. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan is uh, a really close friend of mine. Uh, I got to know Ryan because we lived in the same area in Atlanta when I lived yep. there. And we would hang out, you know, probably every second or third day or sometimes even more um, in Atlanta, you know, whether it's breakfast or dinners or, um, or, you know, or going out of the bar on a weekend or whatever. So we got pretty close and, you know, we, we had similar upbringings where, you know, my, my dad is a mechanic and his dad is a mechanic, um, you know, and it was one of those things where we come from like a working class family, I guess. So there was that mutual respect of like, hey, look where we are and look where we started kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and he's just awesome. Super nice guy. You know, um, he's pretty much the same guy that you hear on the radio show, yeah. you know. Uh, he's just full of personality. Um, he's got a great sense of humor, energy. Yeah, he's awesome. Really cool guy. Yeah, it, it is a great, great podcast. Maybe you will be on it one day. Um, maybe, it's, maybe. It's not, I'm going to have to probably get a podium on this race or something. Yeah, win it. But it's not quite the illustrious heights of On The Grid. Yeah, we'll win close. it. Yeah, relax. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, serious car racing question for me to round things off, Scotty. And we do thank you for mm. joining us, mate. We know you're busy. Um, and we know, in fact, you've just come from a COVID test, I think. So you're all clear yes. and good to go for this weekend, first and foremost. Excellent. Good to go. Good. Excellent. Good to go. Um, sports car racing is going crazy at the moment. Mm. Uh, the, the new set of regulations uh, for WEC have taken some time to kick on, but now they're actually firing. And you mentioned Peugeot coming in with your mate, Michael Jensen, next year. Ferrari's in. Porsche's going in big on both sides of the Pacific with uh, the Atlantic, I should say, with, with IMSA and a WEC campaign with Penske. 
do you feel like your sort of right place, right time to take advantage of that investment that's coming into prototype racing, especially in the outright stuff. So in a couple of years, you can perhaps find yourself in a, an LMP car at this race going for an outright win. Um, yeah, I'd like to hope so. Um, <laughs> and I'd like to think so. Uh, you know, definitely. <clears throat> I mean, you know, things happen. It's crazy in this sport. Like put it this way six months ago i would have been like you know i always loved gte cars and i would have been like how the hell am i going to get in a gte car you know it just seems so unattainable you know and the budgets are just so high like the amount of money that people are spending to do this gte thing and it's just like how am i like how why is anyone going to want me in lmp3 or you know obviously done some dpi and stuff when there's so many like factory guys and blah 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 that are available that don't have seats and I landed in this seat, mainly thanks to Mikkel, actually. You know, I got to thank him a fair bit because he was the one that really pushed me as their silver. And, you know, obviously I've done quite a bit of GT stuff and, yeah, it came out of nowhere, but immediately was happy and comfortable in the car and enjoyed driving it. Uh, and then sort of the rest went from there. But, you know, it's one of those things where, even LMDH probably even seems maybe a little bit more attainable than GTE for me. Um, but, you know, it's, there's also so many guys that are looking for the seats and it's just going to be a supply and demand and hopefully um, I'm part of the demand. <laughs> well, you're putting yourself in the right position to be so mate with everything you're doing and you mentioned your four full-time campaigns around the world on both sides of the ditch. So you're doing really well. You've come a long way from terrorizing the Isle of Wight as a Commodore Cup driver, my friend, and we absolutely <laughs> love to see it. It's great stuff. So congratulations from Thanks, all of us man. down here. We're following very, very closely. Can't wait to see the, the bright Ferrari in action. You can't miss it. It's a good-looking thing. Um, we look it's forward very to bright. It. it is. It's excellent. But the Car Guy team are, are very cool, and with Kessel Racing, yes. of course, who are a, a crack outfit. So they know a thing yeah. or two about uh, having a go at Le Mans, don't they? For sure. Yeah. Oh man. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's cool to be a part of. Well done, mate. Best wishes for this weekend for the rest of the season and uh, looking forward to catching up when you can get back down under at some point. Cool. Thanks Richard. And thanks Mark. It was a pleasure to be here. It was a lot of fun. There's Scott Andrews folks joining us on the grid. Follow the Le Mans 24 hour this weekend. See how he goes. Welcome back as we continue on the grid for this week. Uh, fantastic interview there, Richard. Well done. Oh, well, Mark was involved as well. Obviously, no, look, Scott Andrews is a great young talent and we've all known him for a long time since his junior days, as we mentioned through Commodore Cup and then Australian Formula Ford. And he sort of applied a, a, an under the radar path, I suppose, in the world of sports car racing and hasn't had an enormous amount of PR, but as we heard, has had quite a lot of success and, He's got four full-time programs going on. He's racing Le Mans 24 hours. He's won Michelin Le Mans Cup races this year. He's driving an IMSA for powerhouses and uh, it's really exciting stuff. So yeah, I, I learned things in that chat. Mark, I don't know about you, but it was uh, it was good to have the young bloke on. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Everything you said there. And 
like you said, he's driving for United Autosport. He's driving mm. for Bill Riley, like these absolute huge names in the world of sports cars, and he's getting the job done. So uh, we wish Scotty all the best this weekend. He could be a late uh, entrant into our top five from last year, where we had the top five drivers who never really made it. Oh, well, but he's that's a bit harsh. He's well, still a young bloke yet. He hasn't even got to the that's point what of I mean. having he could be a late entrant. He, he still might <laughs> has time. You're tough on these things, mate. Seriously. Oh. I am. I'll tell you a bloke who's more tougher than I am, and he's going to join us to have a chat about a few things, including the MotoGP on the weekend, which is MotoGP at the moment is just absolutely at the top of its game. Chad Nalan joins us for a chat. Hello, Chadley. Hey, gang. How are we doing? Excellent, buddy. Excellent. Uh, I think that's a fair statement, isn't it? MotoGP probably at the, at the absolute top of its game at the moment. It was the other night, wasn't it? It's, it had a couple of quiet races this year. And I was starting to think, gee, where's the MotoGP from the last couple of years where it was just off a head? And then it, it went to another level on Sunday night. I'm just trying to think back to a race that was anything like it. Assen a couple of years ago was pretty hot. And I think this was probably as good a MotoGP race as you can imagine. It had everything, didn't it? Now, I'm what you would describe as a very casual two-wheel fan, Charlie, yeah. as you know. Uh, you're a... Hardcore fan, and we should mention you hosted a couple of rounds for Fox Sports earlier this year, and congrats on that. Lovely work by you. Um, but it is captivating stuff, and every race that I tend to tune in casually turns out to be an absolute blinder. And that Austrian thing, I mean, firstly, Brad Binder probably didn't expect he was going to win it, but it was a Formula One-style scenario where you had someone wet, someone dries, blazing through the field in unbelievable conditions at the end. How he kept that thing upright, is remarkable and as a guy who doesn't ride bikes i can't comprehend the kind of talent that would have taken to limp that thing home what 40 seconds off the pace on the final lap well as a guy who does ride bikes i can't comprehend the talent (laughs) (laughs) to to get that thing home on the last lap i really don't i don't know how he did it i mean we saw marquez drop the thing on wets and somehow he was hanging on to the thing on slicks like it just doesn't make any sense um what a brave call when the front five or six guys ahead of you all go in and he knew he had a split second to make that decision to stay out there and have a crack at it. And it just worked out to be such a good decision. Um, a shame for, you know, Jack Miller that he, I think he just pitted one lap too early, but if he'd pitted a lap later when the leaders pitted, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. If it had rained 30 seconds earlier properly, Miller probably would have jagged the podium. Like it was just one of those sort of races and if you go back a few years, they never had these flag-to-flag races. It was always a red flag, stop the mm. race, come in, throw a set of wets on, full restart. What an awesome decision yep. from Dorna and MotoGP to change that to what we've got now because these flag-to-flag races are infinitely more exciting. First of all, Chad, I'm very honoured that I get to share a lockdown with the carryover lockdown champion. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's really good. Uh, secondly, Rossi nearly wound up on the podium. No. How close was that in that week that he had? What a bummer that they caught him because that would have been pretty epic to get the 200th. I'm starting to think it's not going to happen before the end of the year. If, if that scenario, borderline virtually a perfect storm, couldn't get him up there into that last spot, I don't know what it's going to take, but it would be a nice little final hurrah to see him spray champagne just one last time. And uh, also, uh, Ike Likawina, who was on for his first ever podium as well and had it stolen off him with about a sector to go. So... Pretty cool watching Pecco and the rest of the guys peel through the pack at the end. But 
And I wonder if they would have caught Binder, you know, even just one sector more, let alone one lap more. Mm. Like, he looked out his feet, couldn't stop the bike any corners, could turn the bike any corners. Um, so it would have been an amazing scenario had it played out just a tiny bit longer. So the amazing scenario with uh, with Rossi, as you mentioned, and the fact that his career is coming to an end, I think in a lot of sports we try and make a judgment call on different eras and uh, who is the best ever of a sport. And people say, oh, it's hard to tell because, you know, he was on different equipment to him and da-da-da-da. But I think MotoGP and Rossi is probably one of the more clearly defined greatest of all times I've known of any sport. Yeah, Yakimo Agostini would, would sure like to have a chat with you maybe about that. Like For sure. The record is there. Um, but again, you're going Fangio to Schumacher when you have that discussion. So it's really, really difficult to define it. But certainly in the modern era, particularly the MotoGP era. Yeah. Um, his stats are mind-blowing. When you, you know, 199 podiums from the amount of starts that he's got is crazy. It's such a shame that he couldn't get that 10th world championship because he deserved it. But, you know, the, the amount of times he finished second in a world title fight as well, like Lowndes, you could have mm. had more. Um, so it's just an amazing career. Lucky to say that I've seen him ride at Phillip Island. I saw Krause put something up the other day saying, you know, it's one of the regrets that you never got to see him ride a motorbike. And it's yeah. special. Oh, really? I like that ride. For, yeah. me, for me, it's one of the most favourite things I've ever seen. <laughs> <Very> good. <laughs> so, you know, when Schumacher came out of retirement, I was most happy about that because it gave me a chance to see him. And I'd never, you know, not growing up in Adelaide, I never saw the guy race. So um, to be able to go and see Shuey race felt like watching Rossi race. Mm, yeah. It's an interesting time for MotoGP, isn't it? Because it's something of a transition and, and you follow it very, very closely there's some super young talent coming through. And the, the thing that caught me for the, the post-race interviews with Simon Crafer was how good some of these characters are. Mm. And, and MotoGP is always, I don't know, it's always felt slightly more accessible, I suppose, than Formula One. The, the personalities seem to shine through. Maybe it's because so many of them are Spaniards or Italians and they're just bigger anyway. But um, like Bagnaia on the podium, like he just had this amazing interview and he was so up and, Brad Binder couldn't believe his world and Martin was third, but even like John Mears, a really interesting character. It, it strikes me that even though that some of the household names of the last decade that you see the grandstands full for your Lorenzo's and now your Rossi's and all that, but it's in pretty good place with some of these new talent coming through and given some time, they're going to be just as big a heroes as your Rossi's and Marquez's of the world. Well, that's where the unpredictabilities come from, mm. you know, I don't want this to come out wrong, but the best thing that happened in the last few years was Marquez getting that injury because it meant that Honda lost all that progress and they weren't the best team. And Marquez just wasn't smashing everyone every week. And now when you turn on the TV, there might be a night when, you know, Cordero is the favourite, but you really don't know what's going to happen any single night as proven every time you watch it. It could be one of eight guys who, mm. who win the race. It is completely unpredictable. And it ticks every box. So it's it's all over in 45 minutes, tick. It's got ridiculous manufacturer support who all get to develop plus have an entertaining format, tick. So the fans like the racing. The bikes look cool, sound cool. So it ticks every single little thing. Then they've got the athletes to boot and it's exciting every single week with unpredictability and, and different winners. I don't Name another motorsport category in the world that can say it has all those things. It's just phenomenal. Every time you, you pander towards the manufacturers, you seem to lose what the fans want. Mm. Certainly that's what we've seen in most you know, forms of four-wheel racing. But I don't know how they've done it, but they've ended up with the best of every single possible world. 
Yeah. And it's great TV. It's well produced. They, they're always innovating as well, aren't they? Like, you know, the, the camera on a gimbal was such a logical thing to come up with, but having a camera that stays horizontal when the bike leans over. So you get an idea of the lean on the bike, the simple stuff like that. They do really, really effectively. Yeah. The graphics team are pretty cool as well with the little things that they're able to, to break out. It's funny that their racing is so good that they actually don't have time to show a lot of that stuff. Yeah. If, if the races were more boring, they'd actually break yeah. these things down even more. So a lot of the time, these things just end up on social media as little clips because they just can't jam them into the coverage. Well, that reminds me, Rich, one that you pointed out a little while ago was the Marshall cam. Yes. Yeah. And the amount of times that someone drops it on that specific corner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. Uh, yeah. That'd be a cool one to bring in, actually, particularly with the recoveries we have in supercars and vehicles and stuff like that. You never want to see live when someone's been hurt, but certainly when they're pulling the car under the back of a flatbed and hearing those natural conversations would be pretty cool. Mm. I think the other thing, too, is, is the access to the MotoGP riders as compared to other high-end categories. Formula One guys are just so protected in their little bubble where you've got to swipe your card and get in and all that sort of stuff. MotoGP, you spend 25 bucks, buy a, pa- a paddock ticket, and you see these guys walking from garage to shed. They're stopping, they're signing autographs, they're doing all that sort of stuff and really give the the punter fantastic access, Chad. You know what it is? The motorbike guys. Motorbike guys are different. It doesn't, you could be the guy who ride a Harley on the weekend or a Triumph or you've just gone and got your L plates or whatever. Bike people click with bike people. And it doesn't matter if you're a nine-time world champion, you still have that bike gene that makes you want to talk to other bike guys. And you mentioned earlier, I've been lucky enough to host on you know the Fox desk a few times. And uh, you get to meet Kevin McGee or Chris Newland or Damien Cublin and they recognise that you're a bike guy and all of a sudden off you go, you know. The amount of times where we would stand around, you know, Kev will ride a bike to the studio and we'll stand out the back watching the races you know, on a phone. <laughs> We've got all these, got a perfectly good television studio in there and we're standing at the back just because we all want to stand around his motorbike and watch the race instead, you know, and have a pizza outside and then hop on the bike at the end of the night. One of the coolest things I ever had a chance to do was I would ride to the studio on my L-plate 300cc Ninja. And then I would ride home with Kev after the end of the night, cross the bridge. It's like, I'm riding with Kevin McGee across the Sydney Harbour Bridge at the end of hosting MotoGP from Silverstone. And then it's like, wave to each other when he pulls off to go left down towards Bondi and I keep going my way. And I was like, man, that's a pretty cool thing to be able to do. Bike guys just seem to click and girls seem to click with each other. Mm. Hey, a couple of weeks ago, we did a, a special show where we run through our top five something. And our most recent was our top five bucket list motorsport events. Uh, off the top of your head, and maybe if you want to keep it MotoGP themed, uh, please do. But do you have a, a quick fire bucket list events that you've got on your motor racing to do list? Um, you, you've been to some cool stuff, we should point out. Yeah, I had sort of, t- I'm halfway through my bucket list actually. So Indy 500, Talladega, uh, Knoxville Nationals, Isle of Man TT was the one bike race that I always wanted to go to and thankfully I've done it. Mm. Uh, and Nürburgring 24 hours. So I've done those. So it's a good start. Um, yeah. uh, I've seen Rossi ride at um, Indianapolis and also in Phillip Island. So I've seen a few MotoGP events. I think for mine, Le Mans, because Le Mans. <laughs> Uh, I'm a big Speedway fan, so the Chili Bowl, which is an indoor yep. um, speed car or midget race, as they call them up there, uh, which happens in Oklahoma, would be pretty epic as well. 
Uh, and WRC Finland, Rally Finland has just been so high on my list. MotoGP Finland would be pretty cool as well, just because, you know, I want to go to Finland. <laughs> um, <laughs> why not? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the usual Monaco's on the list. But Macau, yep. I reckon, is so high on the list. I want to work at Macau. The other ones I just want to go and race fan. But I don't know what it is. I want to work at Macau, call something at Macau. Bikes race at Macau. So yeah, which is utter madness. Yeah, just I'm, because it's crazy. I'm happy to say I've had one of my best casino nights ever at Macau. <laughs> it was. Oh, Shebeki, usually when you roll these stories out, it becomes uh, MA15 plus yeah, very, very quickly. Exactly. <laughs> we won't go any further. Uh, Mark, what was that Jordan WA that you wanted to go to? Uh, Chadley may have been there. <laughs> Collie. Uh, Collie. <laughs> Collie Motorplex. Everyone wants to go there. You know what? I've never been. Really? There you go. I never ended up getting down to the Collie Motorplex. There's, there's nothing that seemed to click with work or anything that happened down there. Got family from Collie's. So I don't have a place to stay. But um, no, never ended up popping up. Have you been to the Perth Motorplex, Mark? Uh, no, not yet. No. Rousey has. That is next level. Mm. Like, go as far to say it's the best motorsport facility in the country. Yeah, it, it's pretty bloody good. Um, uh, man, it's not Malalar, is it? Well, nothing <laughs> is. Really? Nothing is, though, Mark. <laughs> let's be honest. Um, no, the, the Plex is, is very good. I, I, I got a, a tour there. Our colleague, Matt Nolte, took me around, but I've never seen racing there. I'd, I'd love to see a, a Speedway night there. WA does Speedway very well, um, but I'd love to see some fuel cars running down that place with a full house. That would be pretty special. They do nice. You've got drag racing and Speedway on together. That's, yeah, see? that's really cool. So you can literally just turn around, go, oh, the drags are on, and then, oh, okay, we'll turn around, heat three for the sprint cars is on. Oh, that's a pretty good night out. That makes a lot of sense. I've yep. been, and I, I think you were there too, Chad, to the Abu Dhabi drag strip. No, no, I missed that one. I haven't, I missed that there. one, did you? No, no, I wasn't there for that. That'd be pretty That's cool. That's an amazing thing to see 18 year old guys just pulling out Bentleys <laughs> that belong to mum and dad to drag down a drag strip. It's just. I lived in, I lived in Zetland for a while in New South Wales. It was pretty similar. Yeah, so you yeah. know. <laughs> hey, how much fun did you have at that Darwin round where it was the everything happening at once? That was a bit of a dream weekend, that one. I got to call supercars, obviously, which is pretty good, but. A little part of me was probably a little bit more excited about doing live drag racing because it's never happened before. So I'd waited forever for a chance to do that with my good buddy Knuckles as well. So me and Matt Nolte calling live drag racing with Ben Bishop and Brian Ingerson, like our little rap pack. Yeah. We're just missing Dean Neal. And to be able to do a series that I'm so passionate about live was mega. And then back it up with the superbikes as well. First time I'd ever called superbikes that weekend. Mm. Like I'll tell you what, you called with a bloke called Phil Harlem, who yeah. is just an absolute doyen on superbikes. He knows every rider, knows the yeah. inside out of every team, an amazing uh, knowledge of the, of the sport. Yeah, and it, what impressed me about Phil was his ability to hop in the other chair because he was usually the lead guy. And so from a commentary point of view, as you guys know, it's really difficult to just become the expert and, and change everything that you do in your style. And he adapted that really well. Uh, and he's a good guy to be on air with when, you know, things go wrong and you need a little bit of fill, which we had. I think we had two red flags that weekend. Um, and so he was the perfect guy for it. So hopefully we'll get some racing going back this year and Phillip Island will get some bikes. Well, just on the drag racing thing, it's probably worth touching on. I don't think we've talked about it on the show. We don't probably don't do enough drag racing, to be honest. But um, the new professional top fuel championship that's starting up and some of our colleagues are involved behind the scenes. That That's exciting. And the... It, it, drag racing badly needs that. And as much as it's important that all of the other grades get some time and the juniors and the state level club level guys run top fuel is what sells people 
drag racing tickets and that's what promoters want that's what fills the stands anywhere around the world and what drags people into drag racing it's what dragged me in i I saw pro stock as a kid great door slammers were fantastic but the first time you see a top fuel car it is a life-changing experience if you're a rev head so new professionally run well promoted top field championship they're talking about sick cars at every round which is great it just seems like the ticket that the sports needed for a long time doesn't it big time big time and it's going to get it back to tracks that it hasn't been at in a while so i think the last couple of years the championship was only at willow bank in sydney very similar to what it was like in the late 90s i remember getting look at this memory of getting auto action probably 99 i reckon it would have been and pulling out the motorsport calendar. You remember how you used to get all the mm-hmm. motorsport calendars in one thing? And I remember looking at the Top Fuel Championship and thinking, why is it just Sydney and Willowbank? You know, like, and I was in Perth going, oh, they're coming to Ravenswood back then before the Motorplex was, was open. I always wanted a round of the championship to come to my home. And so to be able to go back to Calder and go to the Motorplex and uh, Heathkit, like out in country Victoria. So uh, Sydney, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get back into racing in South Australia. Um, hopefully we get the Ben drags going. That'd be pretty cool one day. Uh, it's not slated for Willowbank yet, but hopefully in the future we'll be able to get back into Queensland with it as well and have everyone sort of together, get drags up to Hidden Valley. Imagine if we can do what we do with supercars, but as oh. a round of the top dual championship, oh. not impossible. So, yeah. uh, and then you get all the supercars media cameras on it and now you've got a pretty good product. So uh, great for them. Good to see some unity in the sport because it has been fractured. And so hopefully that starts to lead the rest of everything with it. You know, if the, if the leader category can be strong, hopefully it brings everything else from the grassroots up along with it. Fire Calder up again. Geez, that'll be good. They're that, going there. Mm. They're going oh, there. oh, good. All right, excellent. Yeah, on the, it's on the list, which is pretty yeah. cool. So back at Calder, uh, I think Phil Lamartina himself went down there to have a bit of a look at it and make sure it's feasible and see if it can be done. So um, hopefully that can happen and be cool to see some old friends again, hopefully be a part of it myself. Yeah, good stuff. Mate, good to see you again too. Uh, it's been a very funny uh, couple of years, hasn't it? And uh, great to have you as part of the program. Look forward to uh, doing it again soon, buddy. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Check out the E-Series coming soon, guys, next week. We're going to have a bit of fun yep. with that. Yeah, tomorrow. we'll talk about that more next week. But uh, good on you. Chad Nunnett joining us here on The Grid. See you, All right, guys. Time to uh, wrap up the program with a couple more things. And uh, Lamont Richard. Always lovely time of the year when that's around. Yeah, the big 24-hour is on this weekend. We heard from Scott Andrews earlier in the show, uh, but quite a bit of Aussie impact in the race. And um, we should mention Matt Campbell and Jackson Evans teaming up. And this is a bit of a life lifeline dream for these two guys who grew up together racing cars in Queensland. Um, they're actually teaming up for Dempsey Proton in the Porsche in GTEM class with Christian Reid, who's the team owner. So that's going to be a really good combination. They're a big shot at winning that. Matt's the gold driver. Jackson's the silver. Christian Reed the bronze. So on the, the driver rating system, um, really cool. But there's a couple of other Aussies in it as well. James Allen is racing there in LMP2. Uh, our mate of the show, James Winslow, is in the field. Garnett Patterson running in the Michelin Le Mans Cup race, which is in... Uh, LMP3 and GT3 cars. So that's a big warm-up race. A couple of, I think they're just over an hour long or two hours long each. There's two of those in the lead-up. So lots of Aussie presence over there, which is great given everything going on in the world. But it, it's going to be a really interesting race. I reckon it's the the best shot that an LMP2 car has got to win the thing outright uh, ever because there's only five cars in the outright hypercar class and it's the first year those cars have run in anger 
outright. So there's going to be some interesting reliability stories, I think, between the two Toyotas, the two cars from Glickenhaus and the Signatech Alpine that uh, makes up that outright class. So the LMP2 field, which is unbelievably strong, um, I reckon the winner could come from there. It is Aussie Ryan Briscoe in one of the Glickenhauses. Um, correct me. Uh, if yes, I, I think am he is. Wrong. Yeah. So yep. I mean, he's a chance. Yep. And they actually topped the um, yeah. Top the practice day. The which was, yeah. yeah. Toyota probably keeping their powder dry. And I think they all were because the, the benchmark time for those hypercars was three minutes 30. And I noticed all five of them were in the 329s. So, <laughs> so I reckon they've just gone, oh, let's not go too hard so we don't get reined back in by the ACO. But yeah, it's going to be a really interesting race. But sports car racing, I wrote about it on the race talk a couple of weeks ago. It's about to go absolutely ballistic, boys. The, there, yeah. there could be 10 manufacturers at Le Mans in the outright class in three years' time. Amazing. So Porsche's in, Ferrari's in, um, Peugeot coming back. We heard Scotty talking about that. A crazy car with no rear wing. Um, Cadillac look like they're in in the American rule set. Um, Audi are in with a factory car again. Lamborghini have committed. Um to running a DPI or the, the American spec uh, Le Mans outright car. Um, and the list goes on. Corvette will probably end up somewhere there as well. So it's it's really cool. It's sports car racing is going to go through a boom period soon. Hopefully they can maintain it rather than going all over the shop like they usually do. But mm. um, it's it could be really exciting in the next couple of years. But even then, GT3 is still strong. Mm. Isn't it? I mean, yep. GT3 was sort of at the point there a few years ago where it was almost like, oh, geez, they're pricing themselves out of existence mm. here. It's getting a bit uh, getting a bit coiny to go racing in these things. But it's kept ploughing on, hasn't it? Like, you look where it's it's gone around the world, you know, it's now the, the default DTM category, but everywhere else, mm. it's still strong. Well, it's basically killed off GTE. Mm. Uh, in America, IMSA has got rid of the GTE formula, which has sort of left Corvette a bit high and dry and they're going to have to build some gt3 cars now which is great because it means we might get them down here at some point but um yeah they're just going to go full-blown professional gt3 drivers um as the gt class in sports car racing which makes all the sense in the world i i i think they should run at Le Mans, to be honest with you in the 24 hour they run in the support races but they're not that much slower than a gte car now and it would be so good if you could run a GT3 car in the Bathurst 12-hour Spa 24 and go and win the Le Mans 24-hour as one team. Like, how good would that be as a as a category? And that would just ensure its survival for a long time to come. So I think the only question, Mark, is what's um, Stefan Raitel's relationship like with the ACO? And I honestly have no idea what that is because he obviously controls a lot of the GT3 world because most of his categories run it. So that would be the only question, Mark. But... Um, and that'll be for one for our mates over at uh, RadioLeMans.com to uh, to follow. But yeah, interesting times. It certainly is. Finally, guys, before we go to, we should mention that uh, TCR Australia have uh, announced their big double round weekend coming up in October. Yeah, the Ben Motorsport Park, uh, middle of October. So just with everything going on, Sandown round was set for September. Pipe dream, never going to happen. Um, that's been cancelled. So with the calendar shuffling, they've shuffled some things around some more and now the plan is for tcr australia for trans am who have never been to the bend and tcm who have also never been to the bend touring car masters to run two rounds in the same weekend which makes sense so you run for tcm it'll be round four will be on saturday round five on sunday hopefully 
middle of October. I mean, who knows where we'll be at by then. We might still all be completely and utterly buggered. But fingers crossed we're not. It could be a really, really good event. Um, hopefully we can pull that off because uh, I need to go to a racetrack. Well, so do I, Rich. I mean, you've, you've boned my round 20 minutes down the road here. Yeah. And I'm gutted for Sandown because its days are numbered. Mm-hmm. It's lost its state championship round from the other week, which uh, which got boned, unfortunately, with the latest lockdown and losing this, which is a shame. You know, we've written a fair bit about the subject on the race talk. And, you know, there were plans earlier this year, a couple of weeks after the V8 round, that they're going to bowl it all down and build 7,500 houses there, which is incredible to think but mm. uh subsequent to that there's been changes to the taxation laws with the windfall tax and it wind up costing the mrc hundreds of millions of dollars in tax if they were to do that so that all sort of stays up in the air i mean i don't think there's any doubt that they will knock it over one day when the the right situation is there in front of them but then on the side of that uh, is the planned track at packenham which was sort of seen as the obvious replacement mm. to Sandown. And we've reported this on the race talk and nobody else has seemed to bother writing the story, which is interesting uh, that the people, the developers who are behind that track have pulled the pin. The council's still red hot keen, but the developer pulled out of that. So they're sort of in limbo now and will go back to tender, but I still see that as a very hard task. It's exactly 1.2 kilometers to houses that have been there for a very long time. And it's in a corridor of really high, residential growth so i just don't understand how they can make a model of a you know modern racetrack their work you know it's all good and well for people to build their racetracks next to uh, their houses next to a racetrack and complain about the noise and Mm. you know and poo-poo the the nimbies but when you build the racetrack right next to these developed residential areas i just can't see how they can make that work yeah q sound effect yeah melbourne it's a bit of a worry from a motorsport point of view. Mm, Seriously. Yeah. Um, and the obvious solution, we talked about it with Chad, it, cold, they have to do something with Calder Park. Mm. Like it, it's still zoned for what it's zoned for. You can never develop that place without an enormous amount of money because the remedial work on the grounds there will be outrageously expensive because yeah. the thing's toxic. Um, like, just, it's got to get back as a racetrack, even if it tidied up a little bit, run it now. I'm not talking about a supercar round yet, but it just makes so much sense. And if you open that up again, you would own the Victorian market. I mean, I, I realize it's down towards Phillip Island, but Lang Lang, like mm. it's not the closed shop Holden used to run there. People no, can hire yeah. that, join out now and use it for their things. It wouldn't take a whole lot of effort to... Oh. You'd, you'd have to spend millions, though, to get it to a racetrack. Yeah, spec. but you're spending $200 million to build a thing at Packenham that you but can't use. Calder, you could turn around and, with a bit of resurfacing, run it tomorrow. Oh, 100%. So 100%, it's, just, but it's the, the easiest course, least path of least resistance. Mm. I just it, it baffles my mind why that place just isn't – I don't know what the politics are. Well, I do, but they're no good. But, um, yeah, it just baffles my mind that it's not being used because it's – it's just so obvious that it could be amazing and it would be great for the sport. So sounds yeah. like a topic for another day. Well, get, well try and get well, Rodney on the show. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon. Final thought, just leave the fences up at Albert park. Well, yeah. Yeah. How good would that be? Yeah. What a place to go racing. Yeah. Imagine a Shannon's around there. State, a state round at Albert park. hundred percent. I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> I would be. be about the only four people there, but Hey, it'll be all right. Uh, great work again, boys. Thank you so much. Look forward to doing it next week. Ciao for now.
Thank you for joining us right here on The Grid.